So yeah, I just like to encourage people that they really can do it because I went from thinking maybe I would do landscaping to not wanting to do math in college to running a freelance business to now joining this unicorn startup. And like yeah. everyone probably only sees the unicorn startup and just thinks like, wow, that's incredible. But it's just steps by steps you get there. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnall, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Caleb Mellis, Senior Software Engineer, Tech Lead, and Content Creator. Fun fact, he also joined a startup that had a $187 million exit as one of only eight engineers. Caleb, welcome to Exponential Growth. Awesome, James. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Why don't you take us back, Caleb? What was it like growing up? What did you want to do? Yeah, my entry into tech was definitely not the go to college, go through boot camp and get into tech. I definitely had a journey getting into tech. So I think it goes back to maybe when I was 15. I'm a very active person. I love to be outdoors, whether it's playing sports, baseball, volleyball, all kinds of things that I would do outside. I grew up in the Chicago area. And so I just loved spending my summers outside. And then I remember turning 17, graduating from high school. And I just kept thinking like, how the heck do all these successful adults like figure out what they wanted to do? Like, it seemed like such a, it's a thing where like, yeah, how do other people do this? Like, how do you figure out who you want to marry? It's like impossible until you meet someone, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, so I found that was the same for me for college. So I ended up taking a gap year and just kind of researching, what do I want to do? What do I enjoy? I ran a small um, landscaping business on the side just to make really? some cash. And I thought maybe I should do landscaping. My dad was in tech. And so he kind of talked through some of the benefits of that. And I started getting interested actually first in graphic design. So <laughs> yeah, I started in graphic design, nothing professional, but just doing it for fun. And then... I think my light bulb moment, I honestly checked out a book from the library on HTML and CSS. And I remember thinking like, holy crap, like you can put stuff on the internet that you designed. I don't know. It just felt like I was creating something out of nothing. Yeah. I still and find was, that magical, Caleb. Like if you just do basic HTML with a, a Tesla car or something like that, it's still to me, it's magical being in the industry for a year. So I totally get that. Yeah. And I, I want to ask you really quickly. So your parents, it sounds like they were probably supportive of the gap year that you took yes. and trying to figure out. Okay. That's yeah, good. they were. Yeah. So that was awesome. Started just kind of messing around with HTML and CSS websites. Let's see. What was my first? Oh yeah. I've shared this on my LinkedIn. So like my unlock moment was... We, I had a friend, I couldn't remember if it was one of my mom's friends or just someone who had a small business. They had a remodeling company and they heard that I did websites, which to me was just slapping up HTML and CSS that I had, and then a design that I had put together. And so that they reached out, they've redone it since, but for like okay. seven years, it was the same as I built it. So nice. Just a static site. And it, yes. I guess it accomplished exactly what yeah. they needed it to. Yeah. It just had like pictures of their remodels that they had done and all their services listed out. So, yeah. I just remember the site and I thought that was awesome. I shipped it. And then like, I basically did it for volunteer just to learn. And sure. then six weeks later, I just get a random envelope in the mail and there was a $450 check in there. Nice. And I was just like, holy crap, people make money from this. Like <laughs> it was. Awesome. So you hadn't agreed to the terms. It was more of like a, they'll pay you what they think it's worth kind of a thing. Is yeah. That right? I think. I didn't even ask them for pay. I was just like, this is just fun to me. I'm like 18 years old and I'm not even in college yet. I'll just do something right. for the heck of it. It's awesome, man. Yeah. So um, that was the bug you had. And then did that kind of maybe lead you into, the, I guess, the direction you took in college? Yeah. So I actually did like an unconventional college. I grew up homeschooled and I was thinking about going to traditional college, but then I just realized I really like just more self-driven learning. And that's when online colleges were taking off. And so I ended up doing most of my college online. I took a few like community college classes locally, but most of it was online. And that kind of allowed me to prioritize my learning throughout the day. I feel like without the commute time, I just had like an extra hour or so in my day and I could spend that learning. So yeah. I just kind of had it as a side learning. As I was going through college, I got an IT degree 
Okay. I didn't love math. I didn't want to do like Calc 3 and 4. So I was just like IT or computer science. Let me do <laughs> IT. Okay. Fair. So why, I guess at this point, why did you choose IT as opposed to the the graphic design, which it sounded like was your initial inclination? Yeah, that's a great question. Looking back, I feel like I could have done either. But I think at the time, I just started looking at graphic designer salaries. And back then, at least, they weren't paid like software engineers were. Like maybe an average salary back then, because this is like 10 or 12 years ago now, was like 40000 for graphic okay. designers. And for engineers, it was maybe like 50 or 60. Got it. But now, like, I feel like the design, UI, UX, that's all much more respected now and much more of like a professional career. So looking back, like, I feel like I could have gone either way. Yeah. Do you get to tinker with any graphic design in your current senior role today, even if it's just like Figma design? Or yes, whatnot? I do. Yeah. So okay. I first got into front end engineering. And so I got really comfortable like building out, designing my own things and then building them out. But I feel like with the way the browser is now, like if you have a component library and you're maybe creating like only one or two custom components, sometimes you can just put it together with HTML and CSS. Like you mm -hmm. almost don't even need Figma at some point. And so right. that's what I do a lot of the time. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you're in college, you're studying. What was the end goal in your mind at that time? One step at a time. I need to get okay. a degree and then I'll find a company I can work for yeah. in tech. Yeah. yeah. No, fair. I mean, my journey was the same. I'm not sure how familiar you are with it. I'll, I'll share it with you quickly. Yeah. You at least had the wherewithal and the foresight to take that gap year and figure out what you wanted. Mm. I don't blame my parents, but I definitely felt the pressure that it was kind of expected of me to go to college right after high school. And mm. I had no real direction. It was, I don't even know what kind of framework I used at the time. And I ended up applying to and getting into Virginia Tech. I, I live in Virginia okay. and it was in the engineering department. And I think as stupid as this sounds, Caleb, I think I chose engineering because I had heard that was one of the hardest schools to get into at Virginia Tech. So I'm like, yeah, of course I can do that. Why not? Yeah. So long story short, that's not a great framework to try to pick what you want to do because yeah. I had really kind of just sleepwalked through high school and mm. got decent grades. And as okay. you probably know, you can't really do that in college. And that yeah. was a, uh, yeah, that was like hitting a brick wall. So long story short there, it took me eight years to get a four-year English degree, mm. which I, I guess it is nice to be able to compose your thoughts and to write well. I'm yeah. not sure how much of any any little bit of talent that I have today, I'm not sure how much I contribute to that degree, but yeah, yeah I digress. Back yeah. to, to your story, I forget. I'm not even sure how I got onto that. That's okay. Just talk like where I was going with IT. Right, right, um, right. The plan that you yeah. had at that time. One, so, one step at a time. Yeah. One thing that was honestly like held me back from just going all into computer science. And I wonder if some of your audience feels this too. You kind of look at engineering and you're like, especially if you look at like the crypto space and it's like, I don't want to bash anyone because I feel like the crypto space is really innovative and like down the road will really take off. It's going to crash this year, but I think it can take off and be useful for a lot of applications. But I don't know, sometimes you have like the coder bros who it just feels like very male dominant. And like, is there even diversity? Is there kindness in the space? Is there other thoughts and opinions? I didn't want to be like a basement coder bro, <laughs> you know, like maybe the worst of our industry which is kind of a stereotype, but I just kind of was like, I don't know, I'm really personable. I like to talk to people. I like to have fun. I like to go out. Like, yeah. I don't want to be stuck in a basement. So I kind right. of just like barely was stepping into it slowly. And throughout a lot of marketing classes, I had to do half and half marketing and engineering. But eventually, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go right into a full-time career or if I wanted to try freelancing. And I was like, well, I already don't have a job. So how about I just make money while I try to get one? So mm. I wanted to ask I you just, about that. Is that webinization? Yeah. I think I saw on your yes. LinkedIn. Yeah. Webinization. I called it that. I did that okay. for about three and a half years. Yeah. I don't think I would recommend it for people looking to break into tech. One thing I didn't realize at the time is like, if you freelance, to me, you're essentially running a business and breaking into tech. And so it can be really difficult if you just think it's going to be coding, which is mm -hmm. kind of what I thought it would be. But to me, I was spending 50% of my time getting clients. I had a lot of business mentors that helped me over the 
three years and my revenue would be like, oh, I'm going to make a website, $5,000 and then four weeks off till my next client and then another 2000 and then whatever. So they helped me like stabilize my revenue. And I eventually, it wasn't even that much money. I think I was making like 36,000 a year, but I did take like a quarter of the year off just for fun mm -hmm. and for volunteer opportunities. So it was yeah. a living wage yeah. back 10 years ago. Really respectable. And I'm going to ask you as well. So for the three or so years that you did that, the business side notwithstanding, how were you able to challenge yourself on the engineering front to continue to develop mm. those skills as opposed to just, I guess, churning out the same product over and over? Yeah. I think it was honestly just clients coming to me like, yeah. hey, we want a content management system. Well, yeah. I don't know how to do that. So now I got to learn it. Yeah. Or Another company called me and they were like, oh, we heard you're really good at responsive design, which was kind of new back then. And I had studied that kind of deep dove into responsive design. I started to become known for that. And so this one company was like, hey, can you just do the front end? Just make us a responsive design for our... I said, sure. So I started cranking that out. And then the back end engineers were busy. And so like three weeks in, I was like, do you want me to just like try to knock this out? Like, I don't even know your eSore framework. It was some random PHP thing that yeah. I had never heard of. It wasn't Laravel. It was right. something I've never seen again. So they were like, sure, why don't you try it? And I had worked in WordPress before. So I just started learning it, trying yeah. it. And a week later, I had one page done and they were like, oh, that was great. How about you do Keep another? Nice. So yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. On, the, on yeah. the business front, just because I am curious, how were you able to find new clients after a project finished up? Was a lot of it word of mouth? Were you doing marketing, like you would say, yeah. advertising? Some of it was word of mouth. And I feel like this is part of my story as an engineer. And later we'll talk about the company I was at that got acquired. I feel like I had a similar thing, that approach that I took there is just creating a backdoor for yourself into an industry or a company. So oftentimes, like we just pump out applications because we know like it's going to take forever to get a job and that's fine. Like sometimes you need to do that, but sometimes you do need to create that back door into an opportunity, whether that's networking with people on LinkedIn, creating content, just having a chat with, you know, five different people at your dream company and just saying like, Hey, I might want to work here in six months. What is it like to work there? Yeah. And they become impressed by you or you make friends with them. And next thing you know, you're getting a referral. So that's kind of like a backdoor approach. And I took the same with my company, actually. I basically did what I call like warm calling, which is instead of just sending out mass ads or just contacting companies, what I would do is I would find like the top 25 to 100. I think I did 100 businesses in the area I lived okay. where their website just sucked. And I was like, I nice. could do so much. Here's three ways I could probably grow your business just through your website. And so I spent like 30 minutes to an hour on each of these websites for like three or four weeks. And I literally just sent them like a proposal of here's what I can do with you. Very detailed screenshots Interesting. and just blasted that out. And like, yeah. I got several people that like day of $4,000 contract. Okay. They were just kind of like blown away. Yeah, no, that's amazing, man. What, uh, if you think back, what do you think your success rate was in doing that? If you had to put a percentage on it? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a small percent. It was probably 3% or 4%, which okay. I feel like that's traditional in sales, yeah. but I do feel like it was higher than if I would have just literally sent a one liner of like, Hey, do you need your website redone? Like nobody yeah. reads that. Yeah. No, you led with your work. You showed them what you could do. And yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So these backdoors, did you use a similar backdoor when you actually transitioned maybe away from the freelancing and into your first uh, quote unquote professional uh, role? Or yeah. Role? Um, kind of unintentionally. So I actually had met the founder of a event management company and we were just having dinner and he started asking me all these questions about tech and I was kind of like, I thought this was just like dinner. Like why all the like really personal questions? Mm. And then like a half hour in, he was just like, we're looking to hire a front end engineer. Would you be interested? So I ended up interviewing with them and I was like, but I'm freelance right now. They're like, okay, that's fine. So I ended up freelancing for them for a year. And then after a year, three of my clients wanted more of my time. 
And so one of them offered me a full-time position. And then when the other two heard about it, they all offered me full-time positions. Nice. And so I just ended up picking the event management company. Oh, that's so cool, man. I would imagine that would still translate today, even though the job market may not be as hot as it was. And I'm going to try to summarize what I think I heard here is that you're you're networking, but I, I hate even calling it that because yeah. you've got these genuine connections with people and maybe contacts through the work mm -hmm. that you've done. And you have this dinner, which just turned out to be an offer, basically. Yes. I am curious, was there a technical component of that interview aside from dinner itself? There was. So after okay. the dinner... I met with their engineering team, which was pretty small. And I had a take-home project that I did yep. half a day or a day, which is kind of a lot for a take-home in my mind. But yeah, so I ended up doing it. They liked my work and they hired me on. Nice. And it was your choice for, to be freelance for that first year, I think you yes. had mentioned. And yeah. that was so you could maintain the projects that you had, mm -hmm. I guess, on the side as well. Yeah. And I was still enjoying learning about business and just... Kind of, I had some of the pros once my business had built up, like I had the time flexibility, I could work from wherever I wanted to. So kind of all the benefits you have once your business does take off. Okay. I feel like these are going to translate as well when we get to uh, to Wisely. And on. But before we go there, was it, yeah. you get this role, is this FundEasy, the, uh, the company? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think I saw you work there for a total of like five or six years there about starting off as the front end junior yes. or software yes. engineer. And I see you progress to full stack. So you want to maybe, yes. maybe before we get to that transition, do you want to talk about that first year? Was it much different than the freelance work you'd been doing? It was, it was sort of similar, but different in the sense that like they had a lot of front end work for me to do. So rather than doing like a WordPress website where I was touching a little bit of the back end, if I was building a custom plugin or something, but mostly like WordPressy web development, so then they were working in AngularJS, like the old 1.5 or whatever. Okay. And so I mostly did CSS, HTML. I like made their app responsive. And then I started slowly getting into Angular because they needed people to help out with that, okay. to actually build the front end, not just little HTML and CSS components. Okay. So that's kind of how I transitioned into like a front end engineer. I was still pretty junior, but I had a good mentor that really helped me. I think I annoyed him a lot of the time because I didn't have like a ton of experience in Angular. I had never taken a course. So I was kind of learning on my own. Mm. And that was like for a year I did good. But then I hit a point where I just stalled in my growth like a year or two in there. And I think I got really comfortable. Like it's easy once you kind of get to a certain level, they're giving you the same type of work. You just get comfortable but I was also like, oh, I'm getting married and like, I would like to grow my skills, grow my income. So what do I need to do to get to the next level? And because they were a, such a small startup, they didn't even have a career ladder. Mm -hmm. So they just said like, be a better developer. And okay. I was like, that is not helpful. Right. So how did you, yeah, how did yeah. you work through that? So I just spun my wheels for like half a year maybe even a year, honestly, looking back. And then I tried to do little courses here and there. I started all these books. You read all these tutorials, you save them to like your Readwiser pocket account and you never get back to them. You got yep. 150 saved. Yep. And that's kind of what I call like tutorial hell. You're just kind of like going through it. Some of them are unfinished. We've all been there. And then one thing that was huge to my growth, both getting into Wisely and then also growing at this company was just something now that I call the year of the tortoise, which is basically based off this kid's book, The Tortoise and the Hare, where the tortoise starts the race and they're just kind of plodding along and the hare runs off, but they get distracted by something random and the tortoise ends up winning. Mm -hmm. Another book of that is like Atomic Habits. James Clear talks about like you fall to your systems, not to your motivation. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't really have a system for learning. And so I'm just relying on these motivational bursts that I get once every three Saturdays, I spend yeah. six hours and then I kind of don't really apply it. And then I fall apart. Yeah, I'll so, pull on that thread as well. How did you develop this, the system of learning? Yeah, I just decided I was fed up. I needed to grow and I wasn't growing. And so I just said, here's what I'm going to do. I wanted to do an experiment. Would 15 to 30 minutes of learning every single day, either before work or after work, 
be more productive than these random spurts I was having every three weeks or so, and then never finishing anything. So I told myself, like, I'm going to finish every course I start, unless it's just horrible and it's not useful. But like, I'm going to go through courses and I'm going to read one or two really good engineering books. So I ended up reading Clean Code, which really helped me in my principles of organizing and maintaining code. I read a couple other object-oriented coding books because I had never really, really developed my skills of object-oriented programming. And then, yeah, I just committed to like 30 minutes a day of learning and finishing things. And it was just like tutorials that I had saved. I finally started completing them, like these Mm -hmm. books, I started going through them. And it was really painful, but also like all the little pieces just started like clicking Mm -hmm. in. And then seven months later, I remember my boss was just like, okay, don't learn too fast. Like we can't afford to pay you that much. And I think he was like afraid to lose me because I was really taking off in my skills. I would recommend that like if you're in a period of just kind of like spinning your wheels is just like looking more long-term and realizing it might take six to 12 months to hit your goal, but just doing that steady work is going to get you there. And yeah, like on the days you have motivation, like you can crank and do a couple hours or do your side project all weekend, but like, that's not really maintainable. Yeah. No, I love that. Do you still maintain that learning framework today? I do. I don't do it every day, you know, of my 10 to 12 year career, but every couple months to maybe once a year, I'll just sit down and be like, all right, I need to get to the next level. Let's do this again. And so I just start another round of that. I love that. So you just, you kind of brute forced your way into, was it the title of a senior engineer? Was it the title of a tech lead? What did that transition Um, in this tiny startup look like? Yeah, no, I never quite hit senior engineer. I mean, I was basically doing senior engineer work at the end of my time there, but I never got that title. Again, they didn't really have a good career path laid out. So I started leading standups and doing technical specs, leading projects. So like, yeah, I was sort of doing the work, but I never got the title. And one thing I would say is just like, if you're at a small company, there's kind of two approaches. Like one is you can become the smartest person in the room and kind of learn a bit about leading a team that way. But you also, if you're not very far in your growth, like you're mid or early senior, you can also really stagnate if you're the smartest person in the room. So I kind of looked around and realized that was happening. And I was like, I need to go I want to keep growing. So that's when I ended up looking for this other company for my next company where I could actually get a senior title. I could move towards tech lead and I could be with people that were smarter than me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's extremely, again, prescient and smart of you to look in that direction and spoiler next company is wisely. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Right. Why don't you tell us about leaving FundEasy and then how did you find this next company? Yeah. What was that like? The team was too small there and they just had a lot of difficult projects and the process of engineering was just not very well fleshed out. And so a lot of times there would be a lot of starting something and then throwing it away or just like spinning your wheels for weeks on legacy code that you would never get the time to rewrite it. And so I was starting to get really burned out just from the fact that like I felt I couldn't do my best work anymore. I still really enjoyed the people I worked with, but I just was not growing and I was getting really burnt out. I wasn't paid enough and I was just looking for my next challenge. It was kind of overwhelming though to job search because I had been there like five and a half years and I never really had an official interview. Honestly, it was just that dinner. I had my freelancing company. I had done maybe one or two like recruiter calls before, but like I never went through like a rigid interview process. Yeah. So it was kind of like nerve wracking. Yeah. So now were you going to do the, uh, the leak code grind? Did you assume you had to do it at that time or what'd you do next? Yeah. So I did not do the leak code grind props to anyone who does. I wasn't thinking I would work at big tech. I really enjoyed startups. And so when I was looking, not a lot of them were requiring leak code. It was more like a take home or a live coding challenge or come into the office, show us what you can do, do a whiteboarding interview. I looked for about three months while I was at my other company. And I really was just like building up, like, are there other healthy companies out there that I could get excited about or like do what I, is what I have good or not? 
And so I started seeing, yeah, like other companies that were healthier, maybe they had a career ladder, maybe they had other senior staff, principal engineers I could learn from, their revenue was growing more, just things that I was looking for. So I ended up finding wisely on AngelList, I think it was, and it was like early 2020. So I ended up reaching out and it was kind of nerve wracking, middle of COVID, Right. I don't know what the economy is going to do. I'm leaving yep. this stable job, yep. but I was just like, it looks awesome. I loved the team. I met their co-founder in the first call. And again, like when I did my cover letter, I knew they were probably getting a ton of applicants. So I probably spent, because I was really interested, I probably spent five hours just like combing everything I could find about this company mm. and like maybe how their products work the background of their founders, what their website is, what they're looking to grow towards. And I just like put all that into a cover letter and how I felt I could help the team and just like sent that off. And their co-founder reached out like right away, like we're really interested, like let's have a chat. Oh, I love that. So you're already getting that correspondence from him. You're already feeling good probably going into that. What was that interview process like? Was it another yeah. take home? Yes, it was a take home. I don't remember how many official rounds they had, but I had like seven like back and forths with okay. them. So like talk to the co-founder, then talk to a hiring person, then talk to the engineering team, then do a take home, then do a whiteboarding, then talk to the CEO. Like it was just like going and going, yeah. but they were a really small team. They were really tight knit. They were really looking for top talent. They only hired senior engineers and they just needed people who could really produce. I was really excited about it because they were remote. Their products were super innovative. It's in the restaurant technology space, which is traditionally like very behind in tech. And they just don't really serve their users that well. Like even something as simple as like having an email list, a lot of restaurant products can't segment their guests. So like they might just send out a mass email of like 20% off bacon this week, but like all the vegans are like unsubscribed. <laughs> right. You know, but Wisely was like building a system to where you could say, like, give the guest a 20% off coupon to their favorite meal based mm. on their order history. Mm. And so like they had a bunch of innovative products around that that were just like really exciting to me. Okay. I was going to ask you their tech stack. Was it completely foreign to you? Did you have to learn new frameworks or were you familiar um, with some of it? Yeah, I had to learn some of it. They use Vue on the front end, Node.js on the back end, which those, and they use Postgres, which was slightly different, but I've used SQL database and microservices, which I had never worked with. Okay. And that's somewhat challenging. But um, so, yeah, I did have a significant like ramp up period, but just kind of threw myself into it. In the interviewing process, though, I wrote about this on LinkedIn too. Like I kind of went overboard and tried to get in because I was just like, I really want to land this company. So when they gave me a take home, I was like, I'm going to build a production version of what they want. And so I spent like 30 hours on it, which was <laughs> insane. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, people have talked to me before about like how take homes are not like realistic. Cause like if I put 30 hours in, but someone else can't afford to, like, is that really like fair? And I can hear that, but I think having worked at Wisely and now the company that I'm at now, Olo, we do really try to make it more fair, even if it is a take home by making it much shorter. And yeah. then also like every take home has a follow-up call. Right. So you can, we can talk through like, Hey, why did you focus on these three things? What yeah. would you do to improve it? And just really hear like their experience. So that's kind yeah. of what stands out rather than like they made the best code ever in two hours or whatever. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I'd never heard the argument for like the potential inequity in people not being able to allocate time for the take-home. I appreciate you bringing that up. And I can also appreciate all of the take-homes that you've done because LinkedIn had a, a take-home as well. And we were given a week, basically. So I mm. absolutely, this was my full-time job, was trying to get this job at LinkedIn and trying to transition. So I, I swear, I, I must have put in you know, 70, 80 hours into that. And like wow. you, I was trying to build a production-grade uh, mastermind. It's not, it's not a secret anymore. If you're familiar with the game Mastermind, basically a version of that. Wow. And uh, yeah, it paid off. And there were times during that, Kayla, when I was like, I'm spending a whole week here doing this. Mm -hmm. And it could be for not. And then yeah. I, I quickly corrected myself and I was like, yes, but on the back end, they're going to allocate two senior engineers to go through this code with me, which is how they mm. handled it for two and a half hours. We basically went line by line and had wow. a discussion as to the decisions why I made 
So again, I really appreciate the take home, but I also appreciate you bringing up that that fact where maybe not everyone can dedicate 30, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours to that. Yeah. So yeah, it was a fresh perspective that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. I think too, like I'm just a big proponent of improving our interviewing processes across the industry. Cause yeah, you you have the one end that's like leak code grinding and like people are grinding out hundred hours. I see people grinding out twelve hundred hours. And I'm kind of like, well, that's 1200 hours. Yes, it does improve your problem solving abilities, but you could also spend 1200 hours on like leveling up in systems design, leveling up in other ways that would be in my mind, a little more real world. So I'm more a proponent of either a take home or a live coding session. But I also know that can be intimidating, which is why like possible take home or live, or even I've talked with one company that they're helping tech companies do basically like code review. So they'll put Mm up a mini project and they'll have you act like a senior engineer where you kind of just like rip it apart and say what the engineer should do to improve. And then they talk through your code review, which I I kind of like. Yeah. I never thought about that. That's an interesting take as well. Yeah, But tell us about Wisely. I think you were there for a year and you have this massive exit. What what was that you're like? Yeah. I was there for a year and four months before the massive exit. And yeah, like I would just say, like, I feel like I was kind of along for the ride. Obviously, like I was pouring my blood, sweat and tears into it, you know, to help the company grow. There was on and off, like some engineers were there, then they left. Some didn't make the acquisition. When we got acquired, there was like eight of us could have been up to maybe 12 or more at one point. But when we got acquired, yeah, I would just say like the leadership, Mike and Tyler, the CEO and co-founders, They were just like incredible. They knew so much about business. And one thing I loved about the company, which just really helped me grow was they treated every engineer, every salesperson, every customer support person as like an equal, like we're growing this business together and not in the sense that we have to work as much as they're working, but like they're sharing every week how the business is doing, what sales we made, what sales we lost. Our CEO would literally say, like, call me out on anything in front of the entire company, which was just like huge, the humility. And I could ask any kind of business question and they don't, they're not like, you're an engineer, get back to the code. So I feel like the team just kind of grew with that. And I think the sales team was just incredible. Like the year I was there, they forexed the revenue of the company. We grew from like a team of 15 to 70 in a year. So It was just a really exciting startup to be a part of. Every week we had like happy hours and like we were just all like best friends, just like building this crazy startup. And I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I was in college and you're all on this engineering project together. And you know how sometimes you're on a project, but only two people are doing the work and like five people are sitting around. I, in the past, I had felt like I was one of the two people. Well, now I felt like everyone else was smarter than me. So I was Mm -hmm. like struggling to learn and grow. And like I was putting all my effort in, but I felt like it was just like the smartest kids were all just like in one room cranking on a project. Yeah. What was that like without going too far down that rabbit hole? How did you battle that and keep growing without getting discouraged? Yeah. I think two things I would say is take ownership of your own growth. So put in the work to grow. On the one hand, I really believe in asking questions. So like if you get stuck, there's no stupid question. Ask a senior engineer to come in and help unlock your understanding. But then when they're in there, if they say like, oh, this is wrong, then ask a follow-up question. And then after the call, spend 15 minutes going through the code flow and being like, oh, maybe I can learn one more thing. And then I'm going to document what I learned and maybe build a diagram if there isn't. Mm. And so when I kept doing that after every call, it was like slowly but surely I built up my knowledge of the system and just kept growing my skills. And yeah, eventually I started as a senior and I would say I was like early senior. Then I grew to like senior two, which is in between like senior and staff. Some companies just go straight to staff. And then I became a tech lead eventually there. This was all in that year and four months at Wisely? Let's see. So actually we got acquired in November of 21. And then I became, I did become a tech lead in August 21. So before we got acquired, and then I became a senior two engineer when we got acquired like two months after. 
Okay. And how long did you stay on with the, I guess, combined company thereafter? Yes. So I'm actually still there. I know a lot of people don't stick around, so I'm happy to share about that. But the company's yeah. called Olo. Okay. It's an awesome place to work. Highly recommend. But yeah, they're in the restaurant technology space. Their CEO and our CEO were friends. And we just shared a lot of the similar culture and our products weren't overlapping. So okay. we did a lot of the marketing stuff for restaurants. They did a lot of the ordering. And so we just kind of combined our best talents together. Got it. And what was that merger like in terms of the combining of the cultures, even if they were similar in nature? Yeah. What was that like? Because I hear horror stories and I'm I curious know. about your yeah. experience was. So one thing I really appreciate about the Ola leadership, and I think our leaders went to bat on this, is they kept the engineering org intact and they made us a business unit of the larger company. So mm-hmm. I still reported to my old manager. She still reported to our VPs and CTOs, and then he reported to the new CEO. And so they were like, you forex your revenue, like you're growing like crazy, just keep that up and we'll work to migrate you into the bigger team. But like, we don't want to lose our momentum. Um, So now I feel like it's a little bit more rocky a year in to where some of the more senior business leaders have left. There's like seven of them that have gone to start startups that I know, and they loved working there, but they want to do their own startups, which props to them. But yeah, now we're kind of like merging the teams more and it's just like different challenges. Yeah. Uh, Last question I have, I'm hoping when this acquisition happened, you had uh, a little bit of the upside. And and the ultimate question is, did you have equity upside and are you programming largely for fun now? I don't imagine you're financially set forever, no matter what, but what was that like? Yes. So when I signed, I'm sure anyone who's worked at a startup, they've kind of heard the pitch like, oh, you're going to get like. 1% 1% equity in the company, it could be worth, you know, a million dollars in five years, you'll be set for life. So I kind of heard that. And I was like, that's really exciting. But as I kind of learned more about the tech space, my mentor and manager, she really helped me see like pretty much 95% of these companies fail to have this massive IPO, mm-hmm. and like, these shares to become what you might expect. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, It could be worth a lot, but I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So when they actually asked me, they said, like, do you want more shares or more salary? I actually pushed them for more salary up front because I knew that I'm a little bit more of a conservative investor and I have a kid. And so I was just like, I can take my salary and put that in like an S&P 500 stock and still grow my money. Yeah. So, yeah, I cut down my stock a little bit from that. And I did end up getting some, it was kind of frustrating though, because we did IPO in the peak of the stock market, like November 21. And so looking back, I should have sold my shares, but you know, you're in the graph like this and we're literally just like rocketing. Why would you sell at the top? Right. So, but literally when I joined was the top and Mm. it's gone down like 80% since then. Got it. So I ended up, I have sold some of it just to get it in more stable investments, but yeah, I'm not set for life. I'm still working for money. So it was a lot less than I wanted, but it was still like exciting to be a part of it. Yeah. So I wouldn't change it. We're kindred spirits in that regard. I'm a S&P 500 guy myself. I think it doesn't have to be too much more complicated than that. So I'm I'm with you there. But uh, now I want to talk about content creation, because even if you're not out doing your own startup, I see what you're doing and I see... I don't know. I was going to say it, it may not take the time of a startup, but in and of itself, it might. So tell us about that. How yeah. did you get started with content creation? Yeah. So I, I've i been on LinkedIn for years and years, and I've always tried to just build a network of like really high quality connections. So just like researching people I'm interested in, reaching out, maybe sharing like, hey, that article I saw really impacted me. I've apply it these three ways. Like I'd love to connect and grab a Zoom chat with you. So like I've always done that. So I had around five or 600 connections. But then December 22, I just kind of was thinking, okay, I've grown into a tech lead. I've been a part of this unicorn acquisition in a sense. And I feel like I have some momentum in my career. And I would love to share what I've learned with others, because I feel Mm. like a lot of what I've learned, I don't see anyone else talking about it. I see a lot of us talking about engineering skills, which is awesome. And like recommending books, but I don't see a lot of people talking about like people skills, networking, even though I don't really like that term, soft skills, like how to run a stand up, how to write a tech spec, how to 
work through conflict on your team, how to manage up and like own your own growth when there's not a career path super clearly laid out, things like that. So I just thought I want to share about that. And I was a little worried, like I'm still at this company. What are they going to think? But I just kind of was like, screw that. I'm just going to share. My goal has always been like, if there's a Caleb, male or female, like I hope that I'm really passionate about females in tech too. So I always want to support that. But just like, if there's someone like three years behind me, kind of where maybe I was stuck at a mid-level, like what would they need to know to be successful, to get to a senior level, to a tech lead, to just be a more effective engineer and a more effective leader, even as a mid-level or junior engineer. So that's kind of like my lens of everything I share on LinkedIn. And I bet that makes it easy to just keep cranking out content when you have that altruistic yeah, mission. It's kind of easy, but it's kind of a lot of work. Yeah. Like I've told a couple people, like the amount of work I put on and they're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Do you leverage the uh, scheduled post? If so, how far in advance do you go? Or maybe it varies? Yeah, I do. Because I've struggled in the past with consistency, I really didn't want to take a course and just like, become like an influencer or like not complete the course. So I told myself like six months, no LinkedIn courses, just going to share my heart, try to learn from other creators like you and a bunch of other people that I follow. One of my like idols on LinkedIn is Justin Welsh and just like everything he shares. I just feel like I'm reading a nugget like every time. And so I, that kind of like inspired me. And what he said was like, you're going to be horrible at the start. So just like use the fact that you have no audience to just get out there and practice. So I thought, well, I can do that. Yeah, Yeah. that's um, amazing, man. And you've got, so you're coming up on, I think, 10,000 followers now from the five, 600 you had at the end of 2022. Did you ever imagine it would grow this this fast, this quick? No, I had a goal of maybe like, at first my goal was like, I'll have 7,200 by the end of the year, maybe just a random goal. Okay. And then I ended up getting that like halfway through the year. So yeah, yeah. right now what I'm working on is growing a newsletter. So I have a newsletter called Level Up Software Engineering. And I just feel like that's my place to put my really deep thoughts on like how to grow as an engineer more than thousand words, 1500 words, a really deep dive on a topic of career ladders, managing up, how to mentor others how to write a really good tech spec, how to break down complex problems, um, my framework for like how I learn new skills, things like that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the newsletter. Is it a weekly cadence? Yes. Um, Sometimes I struggle to do weekly. It's always at least every other, but I'm trying to be more consistent now towards weekly. So yeah, I was asking because I, I, I say I have a newsletter as well with an asterisk because I too have struggled with keeping up any kind of, of cadence. And I have just recently, I think, I guess, relegated myself to twice a month or thereabouts. And mm-hmm. I, I guess it comes back to the the systems you put in place. And this is just me being selfishly curious. How do you allocate your time, Caleb, between the, maybe you're at home, you have a wife. I'm not sure if you had mentioned that you have children or not. Yes, yet. I have Maybe. a son. Yep. Okay. So you've got that. I have a, a 15 month old daughter as well. So okay. I'm with you there. You've yes. got that. You've got your Olo commitments, your, your mm-hmm. full-time job. You've got LinkedIn, which is no minor task to keep that yes. on a, a daily cadence. And you've got the newsletter that you're trying to grow. So how do you, how do you balance all that? Yeah. I feel like it's a lot of spinning plates at this point, but Kind of my content system right now, just for anyone, let's say that's looking to get started on LinkedIn is just share what you're passionate about, share what you think other people could find interesting, could find educational, or could find maybe like an interesting or contrarian take. So like if you're a huge fan of leak code and you're like, what does Caleb think he is like talking about like only real world take homes, like talk about that and like, Hmm. but do it in a way to start a conversation and to like encourage the industry not to be like I hate this you know like yeah so I always try to be like relationship building and I think the big thing is just like growing community so Justin Welsh talked about like you can actually create a culture of community by commenting on other people's posts more than if you and then if you just create posts when you don't really have that many followers so what I did was I would find a post let's say yours or somebody like 
I don't know, Richard Donovan or like Roman Frolov, Harley, I forget what his last name is, but these different people that I would find and I would just, I would really resonate with their posts or I would have a question about it and I would write a really detailed comment of like, here's three things I would add and what do you think about this? And then like they would engage with me in the comments and I would just get followers from comments. Yeah. Which was crazy. Yeah, Um, I think. I'm not sure if that's how we met. I know we met on LinkedIn, but yeah, yeah. And I hate to call it a hack, but it's a beautiful hack because yeah. I feel like you're still staying in line with this altruistic mission you have of providing value and you're doing mm-hmm. it instead of in a post, you're doing it in the comment section. And at the same time, you're establishing that rapport with the mm-hmm. author as well. So it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So now I still do comments. I love interacting with people, but I do spend a little more time on my own posts. I try to do carousel posts that are maybe more like taking long Twitter threads that I've written and turning them into carousel posts because they're just kind of nice and easy to read that way, like really Mm -hmm. digestible for people. So I do those maybe like two or three times a week. I try to do like a big deep dive one on Saturdays. And then I usually have my newsletter on Wednesday. How's your Twitter experience been relative to LinkedIn? I tried that. Caleb, yes. And I, I, ran I don't out of know, time. man, <laughs> I see these people on Twitter with like a hundred thousand followers, 5,000 followers. I literally have like 200 followers on Twitter. Okay. I really like 20. So yeah, I probably actually have less than 200. I have to go look, maybe I only have a hundred, but I put most of my time into my LinkedIn. Cause I've just found the community to be more, yeah. I don't know, like professional caring yeah. and I like Twitter, but I knew that I would I didn't want to like split my attention between the two and I know the amount of time it takes to really write good comments, to really build community. So I thought, let me just throw everything I have at LinkedIn for six months. Then I want to start a newsletter and do that well for maybe six to 12 months. And then Mm -hmm. maybe I'll kind of circle back around for Twitter. So what I do now is I just kind of post on Twitter, my big long threads. If anybody sees those, like I get a few followers, but then I just turn those into LinkedIn carousels pretty much. Oh, I love it. Let me ask you a totally different question. You'd mentioned your your son. What was it like being a dad? Yeah, I love it. It's a, definitely a challenge. Um, it stretched me in ways like I couldn't have imagined. But like, yeah, I feel like I'm always going back and forth between I'm an engineer, no, I'm a dad and a husband. And I feel like it helps me keep more grounded because mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like if I was an engineer and like, this isn't bad if anyone is in this stage, but like, you can just work nonstop. And I've been there. And I feel like maybe a more healthy life, at least for me is like having things outside of work. One thing I'm working to do right now, though, because I've noticed like, as a tech lead, I just get so mentally drained throughout the day through meetings or going through these deep technical deep dives, is I'm trying to plan my connection times with my family before work while my Mm -hmm. brain's clear. So that like, hey, I have a walk with this friend on Thursday. I have this podcast on Saturday. I'm going to have, you know, two evenings with just my family and like try to plan those out. And like, I'm not doing a great job, but I'm working towards that right now. I'm just like using when I'm sharp to like plan those out. Otherwise, I'm just like drained and I just do Netflix every night. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And So what's next for you, man? Are you going to do a podcast? You're going to do something else or... We'll see. Right now, I'm just like really enjoying connecting with people in the community. I think long term, I kind of have three goals. One is just build my brand and help other engineers grow to the senior level. And I'll do that through like LinkedIn and my newsletter. Two is just kind of putting myself out there for other interesting roles. Like I've had really interesting conversations with other startup founders that have read my content and found it interesting. So I'm like, maybe I'll get a job in two years from one of these conversations. So just also thinking through that. And then three, I might want to be like a startup advisor someday. So I feel like just building these relationships. And also every time I create content, I feel like it just makes me see the areas I'm weak in. And I'm like, oh gosh, I got to go like really deep dive. I got to ask a mentor. I got to read another post and then I can like write my own post on it. Any desire to start your own company one day? Maybe. Yeah. I think I'm like, I know the amount of work it takes. And so I think I'm like a little burned out from my last one, but like, I would love to get to the place that maybe I'll do that someday. We'll see. Cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't? No, I think I would just say like in conclusion for your audience, just like thinking through pivoting in tech. I was on another podcast 
I don't know if it's come out yet, but they kind of asked me like, what would you put on a billboard if you made a billboard and every developer in the world was going to read it or everyone. And that kind of like made me silent for a minute, just thinking through it. But what I've come to believe, and I end maybe half my LinkedIn posts with this is just like, anyone can do this. I'm not like a first tier citizen because I'm the senior engineer and somehow I was born with these abilities that no one else has. Anyone can grow, pivot into tech, become a senior, junior, mid, senior, principal, like really you can do anything you want. And so I always encourage people, you can do this. It's just a matter of systems, making friends, we're growing, finding those mentors, being consistent. And so, yeah, I just like to encourage people that they really can do it because I went from thinking maybe I would do landscaping to not wanting to do math in college to running a freelance business to now joining this unicorn startup. And like yeah. everyone probably only sees the unicorn startup and just thinks like, wow, that's incredible. But it's just steps by steps you get there. Yeah. And it wasn't linear, but it it all helped inform where you are today, yes. which I think it's amazing, man. You have an amazing story. Where can people go to, to find out more about you? Should we send them to Twitter, LinkedIn, the <laughs> newsletter? Yeah. I'm most active on LinkedIn and my newsletter. You can find my newsletter featured on my LinkedIn page, Caleb Mellis. But yeah, I'd love to engage with other listeners and just hear their stories and connecting comments or posts. Yeah, I'll be sure to add links to all the above in the show notes. And Caleb, I want to thank you again, man, for coming on. You're a little bit more of a traditional background or so I thought coming in, but you know, I'm so glad that you agreed to come on because even the traditional careers, quote unquote, you went to school for IT, quote unquote. Yes. It was non-traditional in your own way. And you have a, it's just, it's just like this beautiful trajectory of where you're at. And I feel like on the uh, the J curve, I feel like you're just starting to peak and I'm really excited to watch it as you keep going. So thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Yes. Thanks for having me, James. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.